With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brady Shea is going to score a goal or I am actually going to lick a ranger. It's a lot harder to identify an angel because that's the, the spiritual world. But it's oh. much easier to quantify the data of someone who's a warrior because they've seen war. But they're just like, by the way, the dog is kind of dangerous. Here's your children, <laughs> unsupervised children, here's some pennies. And I'm going to the dog to roll. And the dog will roll free. Yeah. Best of luck. Remember to cover your neck and throat if you get knocked down. And your carotid artery above all else. There's a predator who will have an instinct. Um, yeah. That is correct. You heard an introductory song for the first time. I don't know. What has it been? Two or three months? In a long time. It's been a long time. And there's a reason why we're coming out with it. Now, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to announce this news, but I believe we're going to announce it with the first podcast. So you know about it before I'm saying this. But I would like to tell you if you somehow just clicked on the link or perhaps you just maybe you moseyed on over here from iTunes. Which is how a lot of people find us. You just, you, you moseyed over. You gave us five stars, you left a nice comment, and you moseyed over. But bantering the blue shirts, as of this recording that is in your ear right now, is officially a podcast in the Vox podcasting family. That is correct. The rumors are true. We have joined. Vox is the parent company of SB Nation, which obviously is the website Blue Shirt Banter which is what Mike and I run, and this podcast through Blue Shirt Panther is now also on Vox. So we're just Vox across the board. Um, there's a lot of things that went into effect. Some of our kind of spotty scheduling the past few weeks had to do with just these negotiations and running through everything, and we apologize for that, but hopefully it's worth it. We are joining a wonderful group of podcasts. Vox is bringing in a bunch more. I believe we are part of a New York rollout, although I don't know the timeline of the other podcasts. I know that they did this for the Philadelphia group in August, and they are seeing enormous success, and we're going to see enormous success because this podcast, Mike, this podcast rocks your socks. Do you have socks on right now? No, man. No socks. Neither do I, actually. But they're rocked. They rocked off. That's Two weird. notes about this that off. that will affect your life. The very first is for our patrons, our Patreon subscribers. Um, we're going people. to make a few adjustments to the payouts and the rewards. We're going to keep the Patreon going. It's a way that we've gotten some new equipment. It's the reason why the show sounds so much better than it did a year ago. For those of you who are just joining because you found us on the Vox Podcasting Network, we sound crystal clear in your ear, but it wasn't always like that. The acoustics now are wonderful. So we are going to um, kind of readjust that. We need a couple of weeks to figure that out, but Mike and I have some ideas to make sure that the payment levels are worth it for everyone. The second thing is the big thing. We're going to change the format of the show. So instead of doing one big, long show, we're going to do a Bantering the Blue Shirts flagship show, which is the same Bantering the Blue Shirts you know and love. That's going to go up on, say, Tuesday. And then we're going to do a Bantering the Blue Shirts off the post. This was an idea by Mike. I love that name because it's going to be a and a show where we answer all the questions that you guys ask every week. This way we can give you the appropriate amount of time on the questions that you ask and Mike and I can focus on the things that we need to talk about on the podcast itself. There will be a little bit of overlap, of course, but we'll make sure to do it tastefully. Um, so that's not going to happen this week. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, I believe we're going to release Wednesday. Mike and I are recording on Monday, but we wouldn't have gotten the Vegas game in anyway. So if you're listening to it on one nine, this week is going to be the normal show that you've been used to next week, starting the week of one we're going to iron out what date we're doing the flagship show. And then we're going to have, I, I think it's probably going to be 
maybe Tuesday, Thursday type of deal where you can just get in and get your your listen on for both of our shows. So we're also going to be doing emergency podcasts as needed and some bonus podcasts. Those are not going to be consistent things, but you're going to find it all in the Vox library. You're not going to find it on Spreaker anymore. You could still find us on iTunes. None of that stuff is changing. It's just a matter of where you're going. So we're very excited. Thank you. The support has been great. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but 2018 was another record year for Blue Shirt Banter, the website. Um, We got our millionth listener to the podcast at some point this year. Or excuse me, last year. It's 2019. So uh, just a big... uh, Yeah, I think we did a show. Didn't we do a show after the new year? I can't remember anymore. I think we did. Um, So just a big thank you for everybody for the support. This would not have been possible without you. And this is a huge next step for us. So we even have a super secret guest star for next week. That's going to rock your socks off. But we'll release that as soon as everything is confirmed. Um, In the meantime, Michael, is there anything you want to add about us moving over to Vox. Yeah, I think the the Q&A, the other show, well, typically we tend to kind of like do rapid fire, or that's what we had been doing with the questions, the bannering points, but now the the format we're going to do, we're going to spend a little bit more time on it, and uh, we're going to, you know, let you guys... Get really flesh them out. We're going to yeah, flesh them out. Have more of a discussion rather than like, nope, no, that's not going to happen, next thing, you know, we don't want to do that, so... Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying to think of other fun stuff we can do. We have a fun opportunity to consider stuff like, you know, like a monthly special, things like that. Maybe include some other folks you've heard on the, uh, the podcast before. Bring them on. We'll see. We're figuring it out. We're figuring it out with you. This is a particularly new thing, so we just gotta, yeah, we just gotta go through it a little bit. Um, and I, I think Mike deserves an extra little poke of love. Love Off post. the post, get it? Because it's post. Like the mail post and it's is a fucking like a great bag. name. It's a great name. And as you can see, we can still swear. So we just spent, oh, I don't know. Actually, I do know. Six minutes exactly talking about the good thing about this podcast. Now we have to talk about the bad thing, which is the New York Rangers in general. Um, yeah, the last three at- games, Joe. Yeah, as of this podcasting, remember that if you're listening to this later in the week, we did not know the result of the Vegas game, which I'll just assume was a fucking disaster because everything has been of late. But um, outscored 18-3, to 0-3 in those three games, and two of the three goals the Rangers scored came in the 7-2 loss to the Penguins. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a question, actually, Mike. Just what are your... Just go. Say uh, words. It's, a, it's an interesting way to start the new year, right? Um, you know, on the other side of the new year, the Rangers, you know, won against St. Louis and Hank stole a game. And before that, they beat Nashville. And it was like, oh, are we going to, you know, continue to flirt with whether or not this team could squeak into a wild card spot? And now um, all of that came crashing down uh, to dramatic effect. The Rangers are in the middle of this really rough uh, stretch of their schedule. January is a really tough month for them uh, before the All-Star break. But they just have this like staggered schedule where it's, I think it's, what was it, 10, 10 games in 18 days, something like that. Just on, off, on, off, on, off. off. Yeah, and it's, it's tough because Kevin Hayes has an injury that's keeping him out of the lineup, which is just bad news all around, especially for a guy you're doing everything you can to, you know, build up his trade value. And there is that Larry Brooks article that you reminded well, me yeah, to check well, out. Let me, let me just, let me, let me hit the reverse button for a minute since you brought I wanted, it up. I wanted to, I'm trying to put all the, all the things on the dinner table. <laughs> Fine. Put, put the, put them on the plate tastefully. Yeah, I'm just saying there's a lot, there's a lot to consider here this last stretch, this last week with, you know, Zuccarello and the idea that he's frustrated and he's absolutely a hundred percent letting it get become a distraction that he's going to get traded. And it's this, like, the way Larry Brooks described him is, you know, he's a chalk outline of his former self. But looking back, we've seen, you know, Quinn admit he totally fucked up by playing Lundquist when he didn't have to. And then he also shouldn't have had Hank out um, in the third period. 
And then what happens is we have, after that really rough game against Pittsburgh, the Rangers play Colorado, Joe. Things don't go well against Colorado. Uh, Six to one loss. And then most recently, the Coyotes in Arizona. Um, Keep in mind, the Coyotes are also a very bad hockey team right now in terms of where they are in the standings. And the Rangers were outshot 40 to 23, Joseph. And they lost five to nothing. Uh, here was days. this was going to be my question to you before you rudely interrupted me. Um, we saw this last year where Ryan McDonough had a quote unquote injury, right, for most of the season that kind of kept him out towards the end, and then he got traded. Do you think that's kind of a situation here? So, and let's let me before you answer that question, let me just say this. In this space, and on the banter, and on Twitter, and whatever else, there have been some very reasonable debates, I think, about whether or not the New York Rangers were entertaining the idea of keeping Kevin Hayes around, and that he's playing so well that they kind of don't have a choice. And we sort of entered those talks, right? Like, we had a a good debate about whether or not that was true and whether or not that was possible, that that was something that the Rangers were going to do. Um, and again, coming from our boy Larry Brooks, it appears we are nowhere near that happening, which, in my opinion, is the right move, that the New York Rangers are not cutting corners on this rebuild. I believe Larry Brooks used the terminology um, that it became a great partnership, that the Rangers and Hayes, the Rangers said, here's this one-year deal, play really well with it to get your next big contract, and Hayes is taking it off running. So we are going to see a Kevin Hayes trade. Yep. It's it's a, it's a matter of if, and not or a matter of when and not if. Yeah, but the, way, the, the way Hayes described it is, is a, he was explaining the ball is in the Rangers' court, really, and thus far it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of activity and action from the Rangers, which is... When a player is playing like this and it's so clear that he's kind of evolved into either the team's most valuable forward or the second most valuable forward, depending on who you ask, and there's no contract discussions or negotiations, given what time of year it is, yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear here we're at the end of the rope of of what's going to happen with Hayes, which means the Rangers have at least two, possibly three big trades that are going to go down before deadline day, which is what we were thinking all year long, Joe, but it is important because Hayes hasn't been in the lineup. And like you mentioned with McDonough, you know, sometimes when there's a little injury like that, you hold a guy out just so he doesn't get hurt, you know, doesn't exacerbate the injury, doesn't get worse. Maybe that's what's going on here with Hayes. It's hard to say. Uh, Maybe they're actively negotiating something and then he's not in the lineup. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, I was right. I'm running a story that's going to go up. Um, I think on Thursday, or maybe actually today's Monday. So it's going to go up on Wednesday. Um, it actually may be up when you're listening to this podcast. I'm not sure. Normally, we release the next day. You can obviously see what the delayed release is doing to our our time frame here. But it, it kind of talks about the fact that. And we're going to get into this a little bit too, but the Matt Zuccarello situation, which is obviously taking on a life of its own now. But sad, Joe. Do, Jeff Gordon needs to mercy kill this season. And if it begins with a Zuccarello trade, fine. But And I'm not saying that he has not been taking offers on Hayes, but I feel like if there were actual discussions going on, the discussions would have been reported somewhere. And the Rangers do a very good job of keeping things close to the vest. They do a very good job of making sure that information is not leaked. But when the Rangers are dealing in trades like this... It gets leaked by the other teams. And Elliot Friedman had a report a couple of months ago that Hayes was drawing a lot of interest, which is great. He should. There's no surprise there. But I think it's time that Gordon kind of opens the door. And I've seen a lot of people say, hey, Gordon should wait till the trade deadline. There's going to be more suitors. It's going to be a rabid pace and everybody's going to be going after it. Yeah, you could certainly incite a bidding war that way. But there's also the reality that come the trade deadline, Every general manager that you're negotiating with knows you need to trade Hayes within the next five hours. And that does something to the value, too. There aren't a ton of pure buyers this year, but there are a ton of teams that are kind of in the hunt. And that bodes well, in my opinion, because you have teams like Winnipeg and Colorado and Boston 
that could fancy talking themselves into the fact that we're a Kevin Hayes away. And they may very well pay through the nose for a player of Kevin Hayes' status and class, and it's exactly what you would expect, right? We're not breaking any ground here. But if Gordon starts the process now, and if he's going to start the process with Zuccarello, and we may as well get into that, then you may as well do the whole thing together. Because Gordon took a lot of heat for the Michael Grabner trade, when it happened and who he traded to with the Devils. And part of the reason that deal was so great was because Gordon took a deal when he liked it. He saw it and he liked it and he took it. And who cares who he traded him to? I don't care. Trade to Pittsburgh. I don't give a shit. The Rangers aren't winning the Stanley Cup this year. If they give you the best return, then they give you the best return, period, end of story. Hayes isn't going to be there long term unless he goes to like Boston or something. And I guess you don't know. But if you trade him to Pittsburgh, and I'm making this up, and he signs with Pittsburgh, well, he was going to be a free agent who could sign in Pittsburgh anyway. So I'm not a big fan of this. Well, you got to wait. See what happens. Let the market set itself. No, no. You set the market. You have a guy like Kevin Hayes. I think the Athletic did a um, like rental rank- ranker, and it yeah, was like the top. What was it? It was Craig twenty. Cousins. I think the top twenty. Top twenty. Artemi Panarin is number one, and he's not going to be traded because Columbus is in the playoff hunt. Mm-hmm. Number two, Mark Stone, no, and he already Duchesne said. Two, I think what? Duchesne was two. No, I don't think Duchesne was two. I have it open right now. Matt and Duchesne it's it's three. Duchesne. Mark Stone is three. Kevin Hayes, four. All right, well, then I'm wrong. Duchesne, I'll allow. Stone already said he wants to come back to Ottawa. So I doubt he's traded, but who knows? And honestly, even if they trade Duchesne and Stone, like, these guys fucked up the Eric Carlson trade. So not overly optimistic about that. Set the value for Hayes. Get what you need, get what you want, and get out. Does Calgary want to reunite him and Goudreau like they did in their Boston College days? There's a lot of things open to Gordon right now, but you're not getting anything by keeping Hayes here or Zuccarello or McQuaid, although that's a different situation. So open the doors. Let's go. Especially because part of this is by moving one of these guys now, especially if you find a deal you're content with, and like you, Joe, I agree, you trade him to whatever storied rival you want to, it doesn't matter. Because eliminating teams because, oh, we don't want to trade Kevin Hayes in division. The bottom line is, it's just not that important. What's more important is keeping your options open. And maybe a team in division would pay a heavier price. Like, all we need to do is look at some of the goofy decisions that the Ottawa Senators made with getting burned about someone ending up in their division. And then, you know, that weird, bizarre term, you know, that weird condition in that Eric Carlson trade. Where, you know, what is it? Like, God forbid he he comes back to another team in their division and, you know, it's like... It's that well, you know why they did that. Well, yeah, I know. But it, it's that sort of stuff. I know it's different because Carlson's face of the franchise and a marquee player and all that stuff. But, like, looking back at this, it comes down to... If you make a move now, or really, I should say, you make a move if there's something on the table. If, if someone's making a good offer... And a lot of these teams, there's incentive to say, I'm going to pull the trigger now because I don't want to be, you know, in a bidding war with two hours left at the deadline trying to figure out how many second or third round picks I can cough up for a rental center. If the Rangers get a body out right now, meaning Zuccarello or Hayes, all of a sudden there's a spot in the top six and you have Leah Anderson, you have Philip Heedle. You have a lot of guys who could use that opportunity in ice time. And it would, in many ways, it would be a real shame if Leah Sanderson gets jerked around up and up and from the AHL again. But I'm, I'm inclined to believe the best path forward is letting the roster spots open up and taking the deals that are there if they are here and getting these kids the ice time. Because if we've learned anything from you know the start of December until now is that the Rangers are nowhere near where the most optimistic projections of this team were. Quinn is a young coach. Um, that doesn't mean he's a you know young in terms of how long he's been on the surface of the planet, 
but he's learning a lot on the job. There's a lot of, been a lot of criticism about him as a developmental coach because that's what he was billed as. You know, I was very skeptical skeptical about Quinn from the early onset, and I was, you know, now kind of watched everyone else kind of grow in their own skepticism and cynicism. And I got to say, it's I'm I'm getting closer to well. Listen, what did we expect? He's going to try to win games. That's what he thought he was brought here for. The problem we're having is he's trying to win games with guys who are, I think Larry Brooks put it, like these short-time guys, these short-term players who are not going to be here. So what's the point? In well, can I ask you a question about that? These guys? Sure, go ahead. Do, if, if I t- said to you, David Quinn wants to win, which we yeah. both agree about, but Jeff Gordon wants him to build up trade value for players that they're going to try to move on from. Would that be something that you would buy into? And I'm specifically talking about, and I need to be careful about the way I word this, we're going to remove Hayes because he's his play is justifying his amount of ice time. But really, Zuccarello and McQuaid right now, that... McQuaid can't get out of the lineup. Anthony D'Angelo can't get into the lineup. That's a completely different situation. Um, Zuccarello playing 20 minutes a night when there are guys like Howden and Heedle and at the time Anderson who kind of can't get into those minutes. How much of that do we think is Quinn trying to win, which blame him for that because he deserves it, right? Like you need to know if you're trying to win, yes, Zuccarello helps you more than maybe a Heedle would right away, but McQuaid doesn't help anything. But how much of this is, well, we have to trade McQuaid. We have to. We don't have a choice. And how much of this is, well, Zuccarello has 14 points in 28 games. Like, keep feeding him minutes. We have to fucking trade him for something. Yeah, but my problem is, to me, it feels like he's failed doing both of those things now. The Rangers haven't done a great job developing their young players by giving them the valuable ice time that... They need at the NHL level. Um, you could say that the exception is probably Pionk, but again, how he's been deployed and who he's been played with, you know, it leaves it up to, you know, it's, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. And the other part of that is the injuries have made it very hard to kind of feature and pump up some of the guys they want to trade. But I mean, has has he done either of those jobs well outside of, you know, recognizing what Kevin Hayes can do and, you know, Chris Kreider? But I don't feel like he's putting line, lineups together that are great for developing the young players or for necessarily winning hockey games. Uh, sometimes you can serve both of those goals by putting players like Puchnevich and Hedl in the right opportunity and or giving them the right opportunities and... I just, you know, why why is Cody McLeod still in the lineup, Joe? I don't... Yeah, there's... The, I mean... Things like that. I mean, I know it's silly because he's just a fourth-line winger. And no, but you know what? I, I completely disagree with that assessment. Trend. That And I know you don't believe that, but there are people out there who do believe that. And that was the whole AV thing, right? It was death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just a fourth-line winger. Well, he's just playing with Heedle. Well, he's just playing with Anderson. He's just playing with Howden. Well, it makes an enormous difference. I mean, the point that that I would make to this and sort of what I'm doing with David Quinn is he he's getting I'm trying very hard not to make any judgment in either direction until after the trade deadline. Because if we're after the trade deadline and Hayes is gone and Zuccarello's gone and McQuaid is gone and we're still seeing this merry-go-round of, you know, what the hell is happening? I'm going to have some pretty serious issues because I do think David Quinn is coaching to win because I think that's why he was brought here. I don't think the Rangers said to him, hey, listen, we're going to shit the bed for two years and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I think David Quinn is doing... Presumably, he was brought here because he's great at developing young players. Sure, but who who are you or I to say? Because, and the example that I'll go back to is the Buchnevich example, right? Where he was sitting and you and I went crazy on the podcast as we should have. And then Buchnevich came out and he was like, hey, you know, he sat me down. He explained to me what he wanted from me. He, you know, we had a good conversation about it. And he hasn't been sat since. And now, you know, you look at Hedl, who's finally starting to get permanent top nine minutes. Brett Howden has been developed the way that you would have wanted him to be really from the beginning. 
I think my biggest issues have come from Heedle sort of in the especially in the beginning and anytime he's with McLeod, that's a problem for me. I don't love what happened to Anderson, but I also don't think Anderson should have been called up at all because the Rangers weren't ready for him. And Tony D'Angelo. Tony D'Angelo. Those are my big but now and here's the flip side with D'Angelo. I have to assume something's going on behind the scenes. Because the Rangers have just been outshot, or excuse me, outscored 18-3. to And it was 13-2. to I'm sorry, it was 13-3, to right? Going into yeah. the game against Arizona. So, and his move was to get Smith in for Clayson. Again, it just feels, uh, from a D'Angelo standpoint, it feels like there's something there. And that wouldn't be totally shocking, considering his past. But I still maintain that the Rangers have basically given up on him, and that was a complete, like, just, it's not even worth talking about. We've talked about it that much. It's insane what they've done with him. The wasted asset is insane. But that aside, he's given Neil Pionk far more leash than he deserves. Same thing can go for Jimmy Vesey. You can make the point. Same thing can go for Brett Howden, really. And a thousand percent Brett Howden. So I don't know if I would consider him... I don't know if I would say he hasn't delivered in terms of the developing side of things. I think we just haven't seen it the way we expected to. And it looks like guys are getting into his good graces for maybe a little bit more of the physical, in-your-face, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle play. Then, well, this guy has talent. We obviously need to give him the reins. And again, who are like, it's, I just, I have proof from the Buchnevich situation that there are differences in the way that scratches are being handled. And Tony D'Angelo is a completely different situation because who the fuck knows what's going on there. But like you, I have questions. And I just don't know if it's because he's trying to win or if it's because he knows that this team needs to, you know, show off some of their trade assets. I have no idea. Well, why else has Adam McQuaid been in the lineup for all three of these games. Well, that, that's what I, I think. It's because the Rangers, yeah. Gordon is like, listen, we need to trade him. And the bottom line is, I mean, I know that Brendan Smith is a pretty polarizing player among Rangers fans and analysts for that matter. And, you know, we know what the underlying numbers look like for Smith, which is uh, not terrible unless, you know, you look at them more closely. It's just, okay, he has good relative possession numbers. But he really does not pass the eye test. He keeps taking just indefensibly dumb penalties. Um, and it feels like he's just kind of, you know, a much better skating and much better with the puck, but greatly overpaid version of Adam McQuaid to me, where, you know, if it just, I don't know what Brendan Smith has to do to get right, but that contract looks scary and. The contract for Brady Shea doesn't necessarily comfort me. And, well, and here's the weird thing, just on Smith, yeah. his underlying numbers aren't terrible. No, they're really not. He's yeah. He is like the perfect case for, if you wanted to make an actual case about analytics being bad, Brendan Smith would be the first slide on your, your PowerPoint. On this team. Because... He is... Since the start of December, Joe, he has a 10.61 relative Corsi 4. And, and yet you watch him... You, you know what Kevin I think it Hayes is? And higher than Chris Kreider. I, I, hockey and sports in general, the reason why analytics have taken on the role that they have is because analytics show you a full picture. And we are conditioned as human beings to have just... You focus on the things that you notice. So if Pionk turns the puck over in the offensive zone and it goes back for a two-on-one, it's a great save, you shuffle that memory away. You forget it. It didn't even happen. If Smith turns the puck over in the offensive zone and it goes into the back of the net, well, you remember that one, right? Because it yeah, led to a goal if, against. Or if Smith had a gr- in his own zone, he was relatively solid. He was good moving the puck. But he took a, like, oh, that's a dumb penalty. The other team scores a goal. Uh, exactly and like what happened in Arizona. Yeah, that's and exactly, and that's what happened in Arizona. And here's the thing, Smith. And you you off, off to the races. You fucking notice Smith's mistakes. You really do. And Pionk is a little bit less so, but you notice Smith's mistakes. You, you and look, I was one of the people who thought absolutely after that playoff series, bring him back. There's no reason not to. I, I thought that the Rangers were in a position where if you could get Shattenkirk, you have Shattenkirk, you have Smith, you have Shea rounding out your you know your top four. 
and McDonough, I think, at the time, right? This was just going to be the way the things were going to go. And Smith came to, to camp out of shape two years ago. It, it totally derailed last season. I don't think the Rangers handled his poor handling of his weight yeah. in, it was you know. On, it was all on Brendan Smith, but the Rangers definitely didn't the, help. Yeah, the Rangers didn't help things. Right. I'm not I'm not blaming Vigneault for Smith coming to camp out of shape. That's Smith. That's like your only job over the summer is come to camp in shape. And he didn't. I just don't think the Rangers handled it well. When he was presumably back in shape and we were still playing Stephen Camper, that's not – it just doesn't work for anybody. And, and things kind of got Adam out of control. And a fourth-round pick for Adam McQuaid. So I just – and yeah, Shea – I mean, Shea – how much of Shea is because the team is just terrible? I mean, really, what judge – like, we, you and I were talking about this the other day. Brett Howden has some pretty ghastly possession numbers. But his relative Corsi is a minus four, which is on the same level as who? Braden Shen, right? That's who we found the comparable to? Well, yeah. I, I wrote the piece recently about how he's now 22 games without a goal, which is like, okay. That's, you know, you're a rookie. No one is, you know, not susceptible. Everyone's susceptible to a goal drought. But he also has one one assist in his last 16 games. He also has... The worst possession numbers on the team among forwards, and you know, like I, I was looking at, I was trying to like do some research, try to understand how much should we reasonably expect something like possession numbers to improve, and you know, is this like a red flag? And like the more like research and reading I did to it, like so much of it depends on, you know, what sort of sample size we're dealing with, and what my article became really is, holy hell. Jimmy VC is poison for Brett Howden and vice versa, but they've been playing together all the goddamn time. He's playing the most amount of ice time with Jimmy VC, who of course has never been a good possession hockey player. Uh, he doesn't skate very well. He's not very good in the neutral zone. He's really good in the, like the ten feet around the net. Jimmy VC does great work there. Not so much for the rest of the ice. And when you have Brett Howden with Jesper Fast. Things go very well for Brett Howden. The problem is Jesper Fast got hurt, Joe. And when Fast got healthy again, he wasn't put back with him. And I think that has just kind of exacerbated what's gone wrong with Brett Howden. But to kind of answer your question, it's it's really tough. This kid, two seasons ago, he had five games of AHL hockey. But last season, he's in the WHL. He's 20, so he's not... You know, he's young. He's definitely a young kid. He, you know, he can't legally drink yet in, in this country, so we could call him a kid. But the possession numbers are definitely alarming, even for a team that is this bad. But again, you have to remember, the Rangers are a bottom two, bottom three team in, in the shot share. It just, everyone's numbers are awful, and the guys whose numbers aren't awful we can very comfortably sing their praises and say, look how good they are. You know, they're, they're, they're swimming beautifully in, in just a sea of shit. But when you talk about these other guys, especially Howden, because you're trying to evaluate and analyze how he's doing, it's really hard because of who he's been playing with, the role he's been playing, and the fact that he's a kid. And it's not going to be a smooth transition. He had... He was punching well above his weight in the first couple months of the season. And, you know, Zuccarello was saying like, oh, yeah, he reminds me of Stepan. And it felt great to have this story and this kid come out of training camp. But lately it has not been a feel-good story. But he's yet to be scratched. And he's missed one game with an injury. And that's kind of indefensible now. Can I, uh, can I rant? I want to yeah, go on a rant. Go ahead. Our first little, Vox rant. I want a little spiel. You go on your little okay. soapbox. This is, this is a rant. And this is about a lot of people, but um, a lot of hockey players. But it kind of starts with a guy like Howden. For whatever reason, the past six months or so, the New York Rangers, like Twitter and blogs and podcasts, and there's a group of people out there who mock and criticize anybody who makes any type of assessment of a player before they've proven what they are in the NHL. And it started with Anderson last year 
where everybody was mocking Adam saying, you know, I think this is a 60-point player at the best in the NHL. And let's be completely honest. It's because you don't like Adam. That's why you have a problem with it. Because the evaluation of a prospect and the projection of a ceiling is what everybody does. Every NHL executive does it. Every single general manager does it. Every coach does it. This is what you do. Because if you don't do that, Leah Sanderson and Vitaly Kravstov are just as valuable to the team as Ryan Gropp is. Because you're making no assessment of the player because they're a kid who hasn't played in the NHL yet. So instead of allowing us and other people to make reasonable expectations for players, they mocked and joked about how, oh, he thinks he's a bust. Or, oh, you're already saying what a teenager is going to do. He should just retire when he turns 20. And all that nonsense. And it builds up this ideology that, oh, Leah Anderson, he's an elite in an 80, 90, 100-point player. Brett Howden, oh, you think he's going to be between a first and a third-line center? Oh, he's a bust. Oh, he, he could be anything. You're absolutely correct. He could be. It's like the mystery box. He could be anything. Anderson, by all expectations, has blown away what you would expect his scoring to be at every level he's played at. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I am telling you that because for the last six months, they have laughed at and mocked and pretty much shot down anybody who set a reasonable expectation for these people, that now all of a sudden, I'm getting messages that Anderson is a bust and that Brett Howden is a failure because nobody listened when we were like, hey, this is probably what they are going to be. And here's the flip side. You're going to talk shit about the fact that Leah Anderson is maybe projected that we're saying, oh, at the high end, he's a 60-point player. Mika Zibanejad isn't a 60-point player. Kevin Hayes isn't a 60-point player yet. You could throw the yet in there for Zibanejad too. Derek Stepan isn't a 60-point player. And right now, if I said to you, Leah Anderson will become one of those three players in his career, you would sign on the dotted line right now without thinking about it. So I think as a group, we need to do a better job allowing expectations to be reasonable. And at no point in time are we saying Anderson will never be more than a 60-point player. Ever. That was never said. At no point were we saying Brett Howden will never be more than a third-line center. Never. That was never said. But unless you set these bars and say he could be more, but this is what I think he's going to be, we're going to keep spinning into this cycle of, oh, he's a bust. Ugh, Anderson yeah, well, Anderson hasn't played in the NHL really yet. Oh, he's back in Hartford. He fucking sucks. We should have never picked him. Brett Howden hasn't scored a goal in 20 yeah. games. He sucks. Why is he here? It's a never-ending cycle. So let's cut the bullshit seriously and allow people who do it. Like, it's not like Adam just comes up with this stuff out of his ass or Drew from... Um, Blue Shirts Breakaway is another good example. Alex Nunn, of these people who say these things, they watch more hockey than you do in the regard of the prospect. They do more of that research. They're not coming out of it from nowhere. Anderson's story... They they do the research. They study game film. They're not just being like, you know what? This is what I think. And I I think the problem I have is when you set a more reasonable expectation for a player, like you're saying, you know... Leah Anderson feels more like he'll be a Derek Stepan than, let's say, you know, a, a, Peter a Claude Forsberg, Giroux, like a Peter Forsberg or something. And and people's reaction is just like, well, how are we already dismissing what he can and can't do? He's a kid. Well, here's the thing. We've seen him play against men. We've seen a lot of other prospects take a road that he's on right now. And we can look for these markers, these signs of where he is compared to his peers and it's you know numbers are very helpful joe research is really helpful like it's equivalency rates are like not always 100 percent accurate because it's a best guess but the point is it's a safe guess you're what? you're guessing within a range and you're saying it would be it would be batshit crazy if he became Claude Giroux, it would be far more likely that he becomes a Derek Stepan. And, and guess and what? If, Derek Stepan's a great hockey player. That, well, that's, that was my point before. And, like, why have a draft then? If you're not, then if everybody's on the same level, why have a draft? Just randomly assign players to teams. 
Because, and this is the other example to this, when Adam wrote the story about Lieber Hayek, where he was like, hey, he has three assists in 25 games. Here are the comparable players who did not really pan out to be NHL defensemen who put up more offense. And listen, he even said in the story, there's a ton of reasons why this is a very early evaluation. Hartford's not good. You know, he's not exactly, puck luck hasn't been on his side, X, Y, and Z, but still, these are things that you should be aware of. Everybody was up in arms. Oh, you're going to make an assessment of a player after 25 games in the AHL? Nobody said shit when we gushed about Ke'Andre Miller and Vitaly Kravstov. So, like, this season of all things, and these are the same people who are complaining when people are wringing their hands over the, the lineup decisions, this is the only thing the season is good for, right? Is developing players. Yeah. So yes, about what we have, figuring out who can be here that helps the team that will eventually get back to the playoffs. So so let's just me to you. First Vox rant of the career of the podcast on Vox. Enough with this. Oh, he's just a kid. How can you make that assessment? Because if that's the case, no general manager would ever do any research on anyone. There'd be no scouting department. There would be nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I'm not saying that people aren't wrong. I'm certainly not saying that Adam knows more than, you know, Gordy Clark. But by all means, it is reasonable to set these expectations. Because if you don't, you get a lot of this nonsense that we're getting now and that we will continue to get for eternity that Leah Anderson was a bad pick at seven. When if we were just reasonable about it from the beginning, it would be like, yes, there are better players on the board, but we may have a great player. Because you would sign on the dotted line right now for him to become Derek Stepan. You absolutely would. You would not even think about it. It's not easy to get a guy like Stepan who you know is going to have you know, a 20-year 20, 20 career. He's just one of those guys, right? And it's very hard to find a franchise player with the 7th overall pick. I mean, it sounds like a really high pick. It sounds like you should get something special there. And you should. But there, the problem is there are varying degrees of special, right, Joe? It's the one team's best center is another team's third line center. And, you know, when you look at, you know, just like even a stat like game score, just trying to evaluate guys, boil it down to one number, the difference and how the tiers work out, it's so crazy to think of, you know, think about a career like someone like Jeff Carter has had. You know, he's had an amazing career. No one could say he hasn't had a great career and he hasn't been a great goal scorer, even with all of his injury issues and, you know, moving around. But he hasn't had a career that's held a candle to someone like Sidney Crosby. Does that mean that Jeff Carter's a bad player, Joe? Of course not. Yeah, I, it's it's ridiculous. We've We've reached, like, a point where it's become cool to, like, not really have an opinion on things and be like, oh, well, you know, the Rangers fan base is the worst, so... You know, your blog sucks. This article that you wrote is stupid because you're negative and you're you're giving criticism. Or, oh, you, you love Buchnevich or you love Hedl. They're bad players. Everybody needs to take a step back. Seriously, you need to take a step back. This is your one of the rebuild friends. Well, and but that's the other thing, too. Like, I'm seeing a lot of people who are doing pointing like, well, you said that the rebuild was going to be fun. Is it fun to watch the team lose? We, I, I'm not surprised the Rangers suck. Mike isn't surprised the Rangers suck. I found a lot of joy in this season, believe it or not, way more than last year and way more than the year before that when I knew the Rangers were gunning for the playoffs, even though they were not a good hockey team. I knew I'm getting joy out of every successful story that you're seeing from guys like Kreider and Buchnevich. How fun was it to watch Hedl score? And Hedl, right, and Pionk, and just all the way down the line, and Kravstoff and Keandre Miller, and just everything you can, it doesn't have to be about the wins and losses. And it's and not. That's, what, that's kind of what Quinn has to figure out, too. Isn't that fun, Joe? It's full circle. It's just... And, it's the it, process, Joe. It's the process. All right. That's enough of the rant. Final point before we get to questions. The Matt Zuccarello situation. Here's the quote. Quote, I'm a human being, so obviously it has been on my mind, and I've allowed it to get into my head probably too much. When it affects my game the way it has been, that's on me. I shouldn't have let it get to that point. I'm a professional, and I have a responsibility to my team and my teammates. It's been hard. I let it get to me. I need to let go of it and get back to being the Zuki everybody knows. I thought that actually it was a little better in the way of the game for me, but obviously not close to being good enough. End quote. That was after the drubbing by the Arizona Coyotes. So 
we know now that Zuccarello is in a pretty rough mental state, knowing that he's going to be traded, right? And this is something that we've we saw in the Norwegian article that was written and translated, I think, a month ago. And then Zuccarello came out and he was like, "Oh, the comments were kind of overstated." Clearly, they weren't, because yeah, this paints the out, picture yeah. of a guy who is so rattled that he can't even enjoy hockey anymore. And I don't blame him. Like all the people who got on him, you're out of your mind because y- you don't know where you're going to live. You don't know when you're going to move. Everything he's known and loved about hockey was in New York. And selfishly, you're going from the fucking Rangers to who? You're also... You're to Calgary? Also about, we're also talking about a guy who was never drafted, who got his chance with this team, who battled his way in and out of this lineup under Tortorella, a guy who is with the Rangers has become the most important player in the history of his home country in the NHL. He's already the most productive Norwegian to ever play. And because of because of him, more New Yorkers know that Norway exists than they did a couple, you know, you know, ten or eleven years ago. But the thing that is so important to me is this is a guy the extra Stephen McDonald extra effort award. This is a guy who hears his name chanted not just at the garden, but all over the East Coast wherever there's a Rangers fan presence. This is a guy who's been a fan favorite since day one. He's had it. He's nearly had his career and his life changed and ended by that scary goddamn puck that hit him in the head. It's it has to be hard, man. And you can't fault him for that, because if I told you, hey, you're gonna move from your job, I don't know before February. I don't know when it is. I have no idea. For the next four months, you don't think that would rattle no you? No fault of your own, mind you. Zuccarello right. I don't give a shit. Team's most productive forward. For the past half a decade. I don't give a shit how much money he's making. That doesn't mean anything to me. No, doesn't make it any doesn't easier. Matter to me. So, Mike, being that this is the last Q&A, we're going to rapid fire. Because we're going to show you why we're not doing this anymore. Rapid fire. You ready? We didn't even talk about uh, World Juniors, buddy. <sighs> we didn't talk about the World Juniors. Uh, we'll no, just say we? this on the World Juniors. We can get to it more in another show. Um... I saw some comments about people saying, oh, Kravstov looks soft and stuff on Twitter. The kid led Russia in shots. He had 21 shots in seven games. He averaged three shots a game. He had six points in seven games. He was playing out of position. He's a natural winger. He was playing a lot of center. And in the final two games in the playoffs, he was playing with a torn triceps. Joe, the kid had eight shots against Team USA with a torn tricep. Soft. See, that's the type of... This is the type that's of shit soft that... soft shit there, Joe. Those are the opinions that you can rip on. Okay? That's where you can get in somebody's face and be like, are you fucking kidding me? Not, oh, Krofstoff is... Well, Krofstoff's a different case, but not... You know, Anderson probably equates out to a 60-point player. It's... He's soft? That's like you didn't read the book, but somebody told you... The teacher's like, all right, Mike, come up and give your presentation. And you're like, uh, Catcher in the Rye was a story about a rye and catching it. That's you what saw, that's like. You saw him get knocked down a couple of times. And why? Because he had the puck on a stick. A lot. A torn tricep. You couldn't sleep with a torn tricep. He played two hockey games with it and played well. He. I mean, I got news for you. I have not seen a single thing. And I would not have told you this six months ago. That tells me that he was the wrong selection to make at nine. He has blown me away. And I yeah, knew the Rangers I, were shooting for the stars, but like... It was a he ballsy, had, ballsy pick. It really was. He and, had six points in yeah. seven games. Oliver Wallstrom had four points in seven games. Yeah, I've got And nothing, he's having an... Against the Kravstok pick. Kravstok is making an immensely bigger impact in the KHL than Wallstrom is in, in the same The same could be said of Andre Miller, too. Uh, well, again, two. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, he only had one assist, six games. He brought home a silver. He was medal, sick though; he had the flu. And, but he was sick, and that's important because uh, I have an article going up on Banter tomorrow about this Joe. Um, in his final couple games, including you know the gold medal game and you know semifinal game, his ice time plummeted in those games. But before that, he was—you could tell he was really doing well and he's another guy 
He's left-handed. They're making him play the right side on Team USA. And keep in mind, this is a kid who's been playing defense, what, like two years now? What is it, three, four years? Yeah, I I think this is actually the third year. Yeah, that's insane. And he's playing at the World Juniors on his offside. I've got no problem with how Keandre Miller looked, especially with the flu. Battling through the flu, he had he missed a game because of it, so it had to be pretty substantial. Um, but it also speaks volumes that the team said a sick Keandre Miller is still going to make us a better hockey team. They want right. him in the lineup. And we were talking Gross, about, yeah, no, Nico Gross. Say. I think had a great for what he was put into the situation he was put into for the Swiss. Yeah. He did fantastic. He and Niles Lundqvist was and, uh, yeah, he was Niles solid. Was, Solid, relatively quiet, I think. He played the third pair in Sweden. He had a goal and an assist. Um, Stayed out of the penalty box the entire uh, tournament, which is, you know, an upside, but it was a disappointing tournament for Sweden. But, you know, that's that's sort of what... With the other D that are on Sweden. It's hard to stand out with, you know... Lundqvist is, uh, I think Alex Nunn projected him as like another strawman. Like the guy next to the guy. And that's kind of what he's been. And he's playing in the SHL as an 18-year-old. I mean, that's not a normal thing. I think he's the most productive guy, most productive D under 20 in the SHL right now, which is great. Especially for a 17-year-old, or an 18-year-old, I think, at this point. Playing against men, that's wonderful news. And all these guys, actually, are eligible for next year's world. So, you know, it was fun to get, you know, Krauss, that was obviously the big story this year because of... You know, the injuries and, you know, to think that Nico Gross and Switzerland were one win away from a bronze medal is great. I think Gross had two assists and that's that's good. He played on the second and third pair for Switzerland. His ice time went up and down. But when you watch him play, he was really physical. He also got banged up all tournament. He took like, he was speared in the nuts at one point and then he, he took a headshot. Uh, you know, speared from, in the uh, nuts. Hit. Yeah, so he had a rough, he had a rough tournament there, Joe. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny. I wasn't expecting it, that's all. All right, let's get to the questions. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Josh Zarkin. At this point, Anthony D'Angelo not being in the lineup has to be personal, right? The defense is trash, and there's no excuse for him not to play. Kind of touched on it. I'll say it again. I think something's going on behind the scenes. I'm so nervous that something's going on behind the scenes that I just don't want to think that's the reason here, um, Mr. Zarkin. But I'm inclined to say that that's pretty logical given his track record unfortunately um you know guys can definitely change and he's still a very you know young guy but my problem is this is the youngest defenseman on the nhl roster d'angelo and people forget that a lot and he's not getting an opportunity and when he was in the lineup he wasn't really getting the kind of opportunities that he should based on what we saw from him if you look at his impact on the power play alone in his, you know, even with the smaller sample size, he was per sixty the most impactful defenseman on the power play. But uh, he didn't get the opportunities that Pionk got, and you know he's he's watching games from a suit right now while Adam McQuaid and Brendan Smith are in the lineup. So there you go. from a suit, Ben Gallier, I think it's Gallier. If you could only sign one big ticket free agent, would you take Carlson or Panarin? Uh. uh I- Panarin by a mile, Carlson. Yeah, Panarin by a country mile because Panarin has both of his ankles. Yeah, the ankle, like the injury stuff with Carlson is a big deal. I know some people say, you know, if you look at Eric Carlson's possession numbers this year, they're goddamn insane. He's been, like the points haven't been there. They're finally coming around for Eric Carlson in San Jose. Um I think what is he right now? He's at thir- thirty-five points in forty-one games, and this is after it's, a really. It, is it not start. astounding yeah. that we look at that and we say, "Well, that's bad." Yeah, because well, the whole point is like Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. What are they going to have two hundred points each? But like, you know what? Eric Carlson's a wonderful player. The problem is Panarin's two years younger, and he's got two good ankles and ghost ankles. And I, I like the healthy ankles more, i got to tell you. The healthy ankle, really yeah, that's definitely a big... You know, you need your ankles. Michael Silvers, this is a good question. Mm-hmm. What is a reasonable expectation on a return for Zuccarello? I, you know, before... The, 
I think the comments put the Rangers in an interesting situation because, but you know what? Not really because everybody knew he was getting traded anyway. I know what I want for Zuko. And if anything, he's kind of given a reason why he's a point five point per game player instead of a point seven like he's been in his career. I'll tell you what I want. I want a first round pick. I'm starting with a first and a good prospect for Zuko. Yeah, I'm starting there too. If I end at a first and a decent prospect, it is what it is. I think the market has kind of been set for that type of a, a rental. Think of what we saw last year with Michael Grabner. It was a career year, and he was looked at as like, okay, he's a guy who can transform your penalty kill, yada, yada, yada. Matt Zuccarello is a guy, you know, Larry Brooks wrote, for teams looking for a second or third liner, if if people take their heads out of their ass and look at what Zuccarello has meant to this team and what he can do, he's so much more valuable than someone like Grabner is on his best day. Like, Michael Grabner is a very fun hockey player, don't get me wrong. But Zuccarello should bring back double the return. Yeah, I would agree with like that. Rabner, if there's any like if there's any sanity and logic in this world, he he should bring back like a a Nash return, but without like the Spooner and the Bileski and, and with a yeah, legitimate a little, prospect. A little shy of the Nash return, and I know that you know a big part of the Nash return is just the na- like the name value of Rick Nash is a big part. But there of should why. be that same name value with Matt Zuccarello. If yeah, if we're, if we're looking at what he's accomplished, if if he goes to a team that wants to pay to improve their power play, looking to a team that wants you know a really talented winger like Zuccarello, um, there's really not that many you know guys. He, he's like the perfect example of he has tons of playoff experience. He's he's a guy you can add to any locker room and he'll fit there. You know, he'd fit anywhere. You play him with a bunch of kids in Colorado, he'll fit great. You play him with a bunch of veterans in Boston, he'll fit, he'll fit great. He's, Imagine trading for both Zuccarello and Hayes. Wow. You could legitimately, if you have any forward issues whatsoever, it's taken care of. John, Patrick, I think it's Gada. Gada. I'm going to answer this question briefly, but this is something that we need to talk about more. Why hasn't Ruff been called out due to the poor defensive showing the past two years? I don't understand why he wasn't let go well. as well. Bukaboom was let go after one season. My conspiracy tinfoil hat? I think Ruff is here to be a scapegoat, but that's just me. I I don't think that's... I th- Let me... Uh, there's no reason for him to be back. I think he's here as like a shepherd for Quinn a little bit. Somebody that Quinn can rely on with NHL head coaching experience. Yeah. And I think they know that this is not going to be a long-term relationship. All right, so Lindy Ruff and Greg Brown technically both have responsibilities for the defense and the penalty kill. But as we know, it's Ruff who's often behind the bench. Uh, And Ruff is also now the longest-tenured coach on this coaching staff that isn't the video coach or, of course, Benoit Allaire, right? So it's... It is really easy to look at how shitty the defense has been and to look at Lindy Ruff and connect the dots there and say, what's going on here? Uh, but, And I'm not trying to make excuses for Lindy Ruff because he, he hasn't done a good job, is the short answer. But we have to remember, under Quinn, the defensive coverage changed. Uh, you know, The Rangers changed their entire scheme. And that's that's... Was that Lindy Ruff's idea, or is, is that part of David Quinn's image for this team? The other thing I, I think is, that's important to keep in mind is the tools that you know this guy has to play with, and I, I just—it sounds like I'm making so many excuses for Lindy Ruff here. It's not what I want to do. He's done a bad job, but I don't—I don't believe you're doing some excusing. Yeah. Like I said, this is a—this needs to be a. It's a great and we, question. And it like is. We, 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 need, Twitter, we should have. Is, we should have spent time on it today, but I, it's yeah. gonna rear its ugly head again. All right, yeah, hockey stat miner. We're, we're gonna touch on that one again because that is honestly that is such a great question, John. Like that is when you think about accountability and what this team has done, what this team has looked like, and how much the defense has changed for the worse in the last couple of years, which is alarming because it's never been very strong. It's bad news all around. Uh, it's the million-dollar yeah. question. Hockey stat miner, what is the best all-around Chinese food dish? Ooh. I go with chicken and broccoli. That's my... Uh, now, does it have to be a... Can, it, can I say dumplings? A succulent Chinese meal? You can, I say, say, you can say dumplings. If I can't say dumplings, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout-out right now. 
Joe Shanghai's. I don't know if you've ever been. They make pork soup dumplings. They're literally crack cocaine. Um, they do a chicken lo mein, but with udon noodles that are like doughy and thick. Best thing in the world. Udon noodles. I like udon noodles. I, I always go chicken and broccoli, though. That's my, that's my That's safe because you're a coward. Johnny Alo. This might be a stupid question to some, but not being from the area and not knowing much about him, why do people hate James Dolan so much? Um, from a Rangers perspective, it's just, I guess, he gives too long of a leash. Like, the fact that Glenn Saylor's still around, I think, is kind of insane. Um, I think it's more of a Knicks thing, to be completely honest well, with you. the idea is he's always been... He gives all the shits about the Knicks. He doesn't care at all about the Rangers. But, like, that's been a, um, a positive, has it not? And here's the other thing that I will say about James Dolan. And I'm not... We're, we don't have to get into, like, the Isaiah Thomas nonsense and, you know, what he did and did not done, know. Or he's what he's done to the New York Liberty. Right, or, or the, exactly. The same exact thing. There is something to be said for an owner who is willing to spend money. And we've never had to worry about losing a star player because we don't want to sign him. Or stashing Wade Redden in the AHL and all the things that Ottawa's going through. So from an just on the ice standpoint, like Dolan is he's nothing to me. He's not a good owner, he's not a bad owner. Who cares? You don't see him. He is a very large checkbook. Um, very large. Apparently T- went to the Rangers practice in Vegas. He did. He said that nine, neither the Knicks or the Rangers tank, but if they're doing it, they're not doing it intentionally. TJ Sorrow, why do you value Corsi more than expected goals? I don't know why you would think that, TJ. I don't think I do. I don't, I don't, TJ. My whole opinion on all the analytics we have is that you can't look at one and expect to understand what you want to understand about player evaluation from one. You need the context of multiple ones. I, even in this show, I brought up Corsi before anything else, and I. But the reason I did is because Corsi has become, I feel like it's the uh, the most accessible stat for some people, the, the understanding of the differential and shot attempts. Um, trying to explain expected goals or, you know, expected go- goals for percentages and things like that, it's a little harder. It's a little more complex than the shot share and the events that happen on the ice. So with that being said, I really like expected goals and expected goal differential. Uh, and I really like it, especially for evaluating guys who are like, especially defensemen, I think it's important, um, especially guys who are supposed to be good offensive defensemen. Um, I think it's a great stat. It's a great thing to look at. But again, you have to look at the context of everything. You have to look at, you know, what what the deployment is, who they're playing with, who they're playing against, what sort of role they're being asked to do. But there's we haven't reached the point in any sport, I think, where we just have that one stat like it's you know it's an ea sports game where you're just like oh yeah he's an 83 overall we're not there um game score is great it's you know and i know there's a huge debate about war and and what sort of value it is and can it really predict success but i think that's all part of the fun this is this evolving thing but possession's great it's very valuable just like expectacles are valuable arch williams have we hit rock bottom for the rangers yet nope I'm going to say absolutely not because it's only going to get worse once everybody's yeah. traded. So yeah, after the deadline, that's that's when we're at up. bottom there, Arch. That's going to be. Uh, but you know what? It's going to be hopefully, if we're lucky, kids in the lineup and not like just taking back contracts and veterans. Guys who, yeah, yeah. We're Breakfast Clubber. No, they're here. Breakfast Clubber. Is there a market for guys like McQuaid Smith and to a lesser extent Shaddy? I'm going to say yes to Shattenkirk. I'd, I'd be surprised if the Rangers couldn't trade him, although you're you're trading low and everybody knows it. Smith, I'm going to say absolutely not. McQuaid, yes, but because general managers are stupid. Like, there are general managers who will give a fifth or sixth round pick for McQuaid because they think that his toughness and, like, you know, leadership and intangibles are good for a playoff run, and I guess maybe they are, but... I don't think there's a, a big market for any of them. And I think from a Shattenkirk standpoint, unless you're trading him to the Oilers, who, like, Shirelli is trying to save his job, you're trading super low, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's always, like, the bottom line is, like, there's always going to be someone willing to take on a guy like a McQuaid because of, oh, he has 
the playoff experience. He's a good teammate. He'll fight people, yada, yada, yada. And, like, that's all well and good. The problem I have is, like, trying to guess what that is. It really depends on which teams are kind of goofy enough to to entertain that idea, right? Um, and the big question for the Rangers in this in this case in particular is, you gave up a fourth-round pick and, you know, an AHL body in Stephen Camper for McQuaid. But the real problem with McQuaid, as we know, Joe, is that he he kind of clogged up the pipes. He, you know, he, he kind of spoiled... Clogged the pipe. You know, just spoiled all the potential for, you know, the lineup to... Especially the blue line, I should say, to get opportunities like D'Angelo in the lineup and Clayson, who, you know, emerged to be such a good player. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, what was it? Two deadlines ago, like, you know, Dwight King got a conditional fourth and, you know, Ryan Reeves was traded for a first-round pick at one point. So, yeah, there's there will be someone out there who wants depth on defense that's willing to give something up. It's just a question of what that do person it. is. Final question, Cleve Dog. What's the most likely Hayes destination? I'm going to throw a curveball on this one. Calgary. I say it. I say it's. Oh, I've been saying Calgary all year. I, I think it's Boston is the most likely. Just yeah, but I don't know if, there's been if Boston so has the pieces smoke. to play. Neither do I. I really don't know if they have the pieces to play. But I feel like I don't know. Uh, the other thing is, I've, I'm a little curious if Boston will get gun shy after the Nash deal, um, and. Or does that, you know, Gorton is, of course, also a former assistant general manager there, and he has a lot of ties there, and, you know, they're not in the same division, for whatever the hell that matters. Maybe, maybe you know, it's it's like that, uh, all the goddamn trades of the Coyotes over the years. Like, mm. you look to your familiar trading partners, and, you know, the Bruins have slowly started to become one. Uh, but I'm, I definitely feel like Calgary is not, is up there, but, you know, I've heard... You know, some other... Teams. Winnipeg, Winnipeg is my other dark yeah, horse. Winnipeg is, is interesting because they do... They could take another center for sure. Uh, it's tough. I like Boston the most, though, just because there's been the most smoke there so far. So I'm going to say Boston. Alex Gardner, Armael Kistner, Andre Shikagov, Anthony Viola, Archer Williams, Bob Kawa, Chris B., Chris Habibi, Dan Carosi, Daniel DeJean, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, George Lippmann. Igor Zatlovsky, James Dangles, John Reppy, Johnny Alo, Keith Franchillo, Meet, I'm sorry, Guy from Montana, Michael Silvers, Mike Offit, Robert Courtney, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Robert, Thomas Osa, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all for donating. Like we said, Thank we will get back to you about what we are going to do with the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter, though, it will still exist. Uh, and yeah, thank you all for listening, and uh, welcome to Vox, the warm glow of Vox. Yeah, so the next time we do the mailbag is going to be its own special. It's own show. Um, I feel like we have to revisit that that Lindy Ruff question. That's I think we do, good. too. That's the point of the second show. So uh, you'll get more information about where to listen to us, where to follow us, I'm sure. But in the meantime, leave five stars, leave a nice comment on iTunes, and uh, we love you all. Order some Chinese food. Some delicious, sweet dumplings. A little sweet soy sauce. A succulent Chinese meal. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks.